The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited to have you all back, but let me tell you, I'm even more excited for our special guest today. He is Mr. Ash Patel. Ash is a real estate investor with a completely diversified portfolio, investing in tons of different asset classes. And we couldn't be more excited to have him here today. Ash, thanks for joining us. How are you? Cody, I'm incredible. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me as well. Yeah, listen, it honestly, it's a it's a pleasure having you. Like I said, a big fan, listen to you on a bunch of different shows. Love what you're doing out there. So can't wait to hear your story today. But for, for those that are maybe joining us and hearing your name or seeing your face for the first time, just in case, we always love a good origin story. We'd love to know where you're from, how you got into real estate, and what you find yourself doing these days. Yeah, Cody, I was born and raised in New Jersey, went to school in Indiana, got a job in Cincinnati. I thought I'd be there for a year, and that year had turned into now 26 years. And I had a 15-year career in corporate IT, hated my job always had a side hustle. And it wasn't until I found real estate that I found my true calling, dropped everything that I was doing and became a full-time real estate investor. And to take it a step further, my first property was mixed use. So I saw the residential side of real estate and I saw the commercial side of real estate and absolutely fell in love with having business owners as tenants because they often improve your property while the residential tenants wear and tear your property up. So that's where I am in over 10 years in commercial real estate. I've done just about every asset class, mostly places that don't have tenants in them, residential tenants in them. So mixed use restaurants, industrial, retail, medical, warehouse, office, you name it. I've done a little bit of it. So yeah, that's it, man. That's my story. Man, I love it. You know, we we love a good origin story here because everyone has a different background. Everyone comes from different uh, dynamics and and how they find their way into real estate. I love your story because I think a lot of people out there, they're listening to podcasts, YouTube, whatever it is, they're going to these conferences and it's all multifamily, multifamily, you know, these these ones with, with tenants that are, like you said, they're wearing down the property. You have to fix it up and value add, whereas little secret in the industry, not so secret, you know, a lot of the business owners will improve the property. They will help aid you in what you're doing and and making it. So you maybe don't have to do the heavy lift all yourself. So absolutely love it. But as much as I'd love to talk about those asset classes and, and pick your brain a little bit more, we're here to do, you know, a little bit something different, unsuccess stories. So thinking what comes to mind for you, lessons learned, things that you've had to go through, trials and tribulations to get to where you are today, what kind of comes to mind that can help our audience? I could fill up a couple hours with this topic. I've made every mistake you can imagine, everything from not having a mentor, not having systems in place, doing all of this by myself for so many years and just, you know, mindset hurdles that I had to overcome. You tell me, man, where do you want to get started? You know, from the very beginning, even when I had my side hustles, I thought about going to SCORE, the Service Corps of Retired Entrepreneurs, free government program. And I never did it. I don't know why I was afraid to ask for help. I think a big part of it was I was so insecure that I thought what I was doing 
was just going to get ripped apart. You know, when I had a marketing company back in the day, I thought they would just tear me up and tell me that I was doing a horrible job of being stupid. And in hindsight, I look back and had a mentor uh, worked with me when I was 22 years, 22 years old, starting a marketing company. I think they would have been impressed. And I think I could have scaled that up. Right. And even in real estate, you know, I mentor a lot of people now, but again, I should have had mentors along the way. Again, I've made so many mistakes and I've learned the hard way. And that's what I attribute to a lot of my success, but I wish I did things a little bit smarter early on. Well, and I think it's interesting because we have heard from others about the mentorship, right? And and I, I'm a big advocate, and so is my partner of the idea of mentorship. And I think for a lot of us, we go through school, we go through athletics, other other things in our lives, and we typically have somebody there that is more experienced than us, that is guiding us along the way on what to do. I remember in my corporate sales career, Early on, I, w- I found some podcasts that I really love, some books and different things that I really love from these sales coaches. And I, I would try to implement what they what they did on a daily basis. And it was crazy to me that it didn't feel like everyone else was was doing that. And we we did that early in our early in our lives. And then it's like, oh, now you're in, you know, working for yourself or or in corporate America. And it's like, oh no, that that's taboo. Don't don't get help. Just figure it out yourself. Everyone does. But I yeah. think to your point you can run so much faster. You can make less mistakes by having somebody who is experienced kind of guide you along the way and kind of give you those bumpers like the the bowling alley. They, they, they make it a little bit easier for you to get started. Unpack for us maybe something that you that challenged you early that maybe having a mentor would have helped or aided you not bump into some of those challenges you had. Yeah, so I think structuring your company properly your bank accounts, your financial backend systems. You know, when you, <clears throat> excuse me, when you have one property and all of a sudden you have two, three, four, five, you think it's still manageable. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Excel works just fine. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got 30, 40 different tenants and things get a little hairy and there's some growing pains and a lot of different pain points. And I really wish when I had my first property, I treated it as if it was going to be one of many instead of one of five, right? So yeah, just putting all your systems in place, at least scaling, knowing how to scale, knowing that you should scale versus just organically deals come along, take them down, do great. You know, I should have had my goals set up. I should have known that having partners helps you go further faster versus just being a you know solo shop. So yeah, just a lot of different lessons learned. So one thing you mentioned a couple of times down, and I definitely want to dive into a little bit because I don't think we hear about it enough. You know, there are a lot of mentors and a lot of different guidance out there about how to get started, maybe how to find your first deal, how to find investors, you know, what types of asset classes to get into, all these different things. But I don't think enough people talk about systems and specifically scaling systems that will help you. Because, I mean, I think most of us like and use Excel, but to your point, that has kind of a ceiling unless you're just, you know, can program by, you know, Excel by itself. But for most of us, Excel has a ceiling and we're going to hit that ceiling pretty quick once we start to get maybe more than one property under our belt. So what was the biggest challenge you had with systems when you started to scale that you started to find that 
hey, maybe this this existing infrastructure I have of systems is not fitting my need. What were some of the things that you were hitting your head against the wall with there? Yeah, the biggest thing was probably tax time, trying to decipher an entire year's worth of P&Ls and doing your best guess and really leaving a lot of money on the table, right? Later on, you look and you're like, oh, wow, I should have written that off. That was an expense. Why didn't I do that? Oh, I lost this receipt or... Oh no, like I didn't keep track of this. That's a big problem, right? Revenue was not a problem because Excel did great for that. But you know, I I, I want to share a story. I had a friend of mine that was a home builder and he set up his business so that he never has to be there. And I said to him, I said, John, when a young couple comes in to build their first house with you, do you just go there at their design meeting, pat them on the back and say, Hey, good to meet you. I'm the owner of the company. Thanks for building with us. And he said, no, and I won't. And I'm like, do you know how important that would be? Like they would go out and tell that story a million times over on how they met you. He said, I received advice when I started my company. And that advice was, if you leave for six months and come back, the company should be better than when you left it. And I thought that was the dumbest thing ever for years. Right. And now I realize it was just a brilliant move. And now I'm trying to unwind all the things that I've done to be in that same position. So set up your company to where you're really not needed. And that's very hard for beginning entrepreneurs and business owners to understand because in, in the initial phases, you're the value of that company because you're doing it all. And that's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's a detriment and it's a bad mindset. If you plan on scaling You have to try to work yourself out of your job. Well, and and that's an interesting point because I remember listening to Ken McElroy's podcast a while back and and they had a guest on and and forgive me for not remembering who it was so I can give proper credit. But I remember them saying, because I wrote it down, that as an entrepreneur, one of the most expensive phrases you can ever utter is, I will do it myself. And, and the idea that you are so glued to your job, and I think a lot of us are wanting to get out of the corporate world and stop chasing that nine to five, but really we're just creating another job for ourselves when we get into this entrepreneurship. And it's like, well, if we're not there, the company can't run. But to your point, really, we should be setting it up in such a way that we can leave. That's the whole purpose of most of us, why we want to get into this, other than the great benefits from financially and tax benefits. It's we want to control our own schedule, but we can't do that if we don't actually set up things and in, in processes and systems to allow us to do that. So I, I love the sentiment there. Yeah. And it's the snowball effect, right? It's 10 minutes here. It's 10 minutes there. And all of a sudden you're one day inundated with all of these small tasks. And when you get to that point, hire an assistant. And I'm telling you, no matter how much you second guess yourself, if you think you need to hire an assistant, hire somebody even if it's 15, 20 hours a week, it becomes a, like a drug where you you can hand off tasks and projects to somebody and, oh my God, they're actually getting done. Let's do more of this and then let's hire more people. And, oh my God, like these humans that I hire are making my life easier and it's truly a drug. Well, tell me, because I know there are probably going to be a lot of people listening that say, well, okay, Ash, I hear you. But if I hire someone, they may only be able to do 80% of the quality of work. 
that I can do. So I want to make sure that I'm giving 100% quality. What do you say to those type of people? Because I know that's typically an argument we may hear. Yeah, you know, that's a great question, Cody. There was a point where I was so inundated. I was looking for a personal assistant and I just needed somebody. I don't care if it was picking up groceries or bringing kids to music lessons whatever, what, you know, lighthouse cleaning. And I thought maybe if they can do some Excel, that would be just a huge help for me. Right. And ended up finding an absolute rock star who is now my operations manager. So even if you hire somebody to do household chores, cut the lawn, clean the house, personal assistant, do it. It frees up your time and you get into that mindset of handing off tasks, right? Again, even if it's doing dishes or grocery shopping, you, you need to get into that who, not how mentality. And next hire could be somebody a little bit more versed in your business, right? Maybe a bookkeeper or a true executive assistant, but you have to get that ball rolling. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, we don't do the math of how much money can we make in, in an hour or a half day or day or whatever it is. And then you, what we need to be doing is looking at all the tedious things that we need to do, whether it's professionally or personally in our life. And what can we automate? What can we outsource to your point? Who not how big believers in that? Who can we find that can help us with that? So that those repetitive tasks, grocery shopping, filling out forms, whatever it may be, how can we automate that with someone else so that we can do something that's more revenue generating activities and then eventually make more money, find more deals, whatever it may be that you're looking to do in your goals. I think that's the piece. That's the equation. I don't know enough people do. And I love the what you're talking about because that's what we need to be doing with our time instead of, well, I can be, I feel busy and I am busy, but I'm not making my goals that I want to hit. I'm not generating the revenue I need to hit. Yes. And that's an incredible point that you brought up. And I think everybody will struggle with that because when you're coming up, you try to figure out what is my time worth? And when I did that, I'm like, okay, if I'm working in my business and happen to find a great deal, it can be worth thousands of dollars. But when I'm not, and I'm sitting at my desk, it's worth nothing. So there were times where uh, I had to replace a, a toilet in an office building Instead of calling a plumber, I went to Home Depot and I saw the sign that said, we'll install this for you for $99. But me, that doesn't really know what the hell I'm doing. I spent three hours installing a toilet, right? How stupid was that? And what's worse is I did that after my kids went to bed. So from 11 to two in the morning, I'm installing a toilet, came home, exhausted, ruined my next day. And I was like, okay, so there's like 12 hours of productivity gone because I didn't want to spend $99. Like how stupid am I? Right. But really start early and put a value on what your time could be worth, not what it's worth today, because you're going to underestimate it, what it could be worth. And even if that is downtime, time with your spouse, time with your kids, that time it's so hard. And we would underestimate the value of that in the moment but I'm telling you, just get into that mindset, who, not how value your time. If you have to drive to a store and take 30 minutes out of your day to return a $20 piece of clothing, give it away to somebody, just give it away, right? Donate it, do whatever, be incredibly vigilant about your time. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think we're guarded enough on our time. We don't hold it sacred enough in our day to to think about those kind of things, whether it is being productive or to your point, spending time with our family and our loved ones and things like that, that we, we, we want and need to be doing. So Ash, I, I can't thank you enough. I think everything you've talked about today, your, your journey, everything that you're doing is incredibly helpful. I, I would urge folks, if you, if you listen to this one, go back and back it up because Ash talks about a lot of great stuff. So thank you, Ash, for joining us. I, I, truly honored to have you on for those that maybe want to work with you invest with you learn from you in the future where's the best people place people can find you at on the interwebs uh you can just google ash patel cincinnati i'm on facebook linkedin bigger pockets my email address is ash ash b is in boy patel at gmail.com i respond to everybody and it's me it's not my assistant that's the part i absolutely love and cody it was an absolute pleasure what a fun morning so thank you for the invite Absolutely. No, thank you, sir. I very much appreciate it. And we'll drop a lot of those social links in the show notes for everyone to take a look at and easily access. Ash, again, thank you for joining. It's been a pleasure having you, sir. Have a great day, Cody. You as well. And hey, everyone listening at home, thanks so much. We'll see everyone next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.